Welcome to the Red Pill Training Podcast, brought to you by James Jowsey Training, 3D Physiotherapy, and the Mansfield Sports Institute. Gemma, James, and Phil, delivering topical podcasts on fitness, nutrition, health, lifestyle, training, and sports. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about breathing. Uh, so I'm going to be asking some questions uh, with Phil and Gemma regarding the use of breathing within training. Uh, where is it? There's different thoughts out there right now as to how we should breathe. Should we breathe through the nose? Should we breathe through the mouth? So I'm just going to ask some questions to Phil with his expertise as working in endurance sports, how those guys are breathing because their aerobic capacity is pretty good. Uh, and with Gemma regards to pain and how that all relates in. So Phil, uh, we'll start with you today. Like you're, you're in, because I'm interested in your thoughts for like working in sport myself. Like you work with endurance athletes. Like how are you training your guys? Like is breath something that is a part of your sport? Um, breath training, or is it something that's not really looked at? Your guys have got great capacity, so what are you currently doing? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting question and. Um, it's something we, it's something we are doing. It's something we're very aware of, um, particularly in what we call uh, high-stress panic situations. Uh, a lot of the guys are, as you say, they're endurance athletes who are, yeah, who are going for four, five, six hours at a time, um, and particularly at low intensities or the aerobic intensities. There, uh, it doesn't tend to be too much of a focus on. On, on lung capacity there, or, or how how efficient they are there. Uh, I mean, a lot of the guys can be can be conversational, uh, 75, 80 percent of of management because they have such an efficient uh, efficient but well working cardiovascular system. I think that's quite interesting to take a beginner and put them at 80 percent. Sorry, so 75 to 80 percent of your guys' capacity. And what what kind of numbers are we talking about there? Yeah, well, that depends on if we're talking about running or cycling yeah. or swimming. Obviously, they're not doing much talking about the swimming. Uh, but, um, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, we're on a, the, easily for the cyclists, we're talking about watts. So um, their capacity will be based on a, on a threshold. Uh, and that threshold can be a two-minute threshold or an eight-minute threshold or a 12-minute or 40-minute threshold. Um, so not necessarily like maximum heart rate thresholds then? Well, yeah. Well, each 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 time each time threshold will have a percentage of heart rate. So you'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to you'll be able to have you wouldn't be able to hold the same heart rate over twenty minutes. So you would be able to hold over four minutes. Um, so your average over four minutes could potentially always be higher than your average over twenty minutes. So the threshold that you're working within, and then eighty percent of that, um, where you know you can even talk about heart rate reserve, um, where my guys can see it with heart rate reserve. Heart rate reserve is basically your resting heart rate minus your minus your maximum heart rate. Uh, and a lot of the guys there, they can see that 80, 85 percent would be comfortable and conversational. Whereas, whereas a, a a beginner or someone who just started potentially are very out of breath at 80 to 85 percent, although it's relative. So they're not working harder actually than the athlete. The, the elite athlete that's sitting next, and they're both working 85 percent of their capacity. But the elite athlete, because of efficiency of their of their systems and the way they're used to processing or being able to um, 
tolerate 80% is very different to the beginner. And a lot of that, I think, would come down to the efficiency of their breathing. Uh, whether it's something we would focus on directly and talk about, uh, I would, I, we don't know. Um, as alluded to before, we we will talk about it in the pressure situations when we get over that 92% there. Their breathing becomes very, very important. Right. Um, in terms of, like this, I say, it has multiple issues to bring you in, Jim. Like, Breathing has been associated with, with pain uh, as well. Um, and I've, I've heard people in the past talk about, oh, um, I went to a practitioner and they told me that I was breathing wrongly and that was why my shoulder had pain. Um, can you kind of go into that uh, potential, explain that pathway? Um, where it... Yeah. Um... How the breathing is affecting the pain in some sort of way? Yeah, and you can talk about it, or you can think about it in terms of, um, if you think about something like shoulder, you can think about it in mechanics. So, um, the way that you breathe, if you overuse, obviously, breathing comes from, um, if you think about the, the way you could overuse like shoulder muscles, you can overuse scaping, so the muscles coming in through your neck. Um, if people have got mechanical dysfunctions, you can find that people use overuse some of those muscles, or you can have dysfunctions in ribs, etc. So it can be a mechanical problem um, that can cause some problems with function, which might be causing part of it. Um, diaphragm as well. I've heard people release off diaphragms with with pain if they're not breathing correctly. Uh, stressful situations as well. I mean, there's there's a whole host of mechanical issues that, that might be part and parcel of it. Um, they use breathing in terms of, uh, for chronic pain as well, they use it a lot with things like mindfulness, I've heard it be used a lot with, um, uh, relaxation techniques as well, so there's there's quite a lot in that way that I've heard of it. And I think that's a really good point now, I was just, I was just looking at that, thinking that the cognitive effects of breathing is, and we also, I know we've discussed in another podcast, the, the cognitive effects of pain, how you manage pain, how you process pain, how you even think about your pain. You know, uh, meditation, laying down, processing pain, thinking about pain, uh, breathing correctly that way. I mean, that's quite, that is reasonably well documented. It's not, it's not fantastically documented, but it's reasonably well documented that, that, that meditation and mindfulness can assist or help uh, people processing pain. I think it's incorrect to say it helps reduce pain um, because it doesn't help reduce pain, it helps with the coping strategy. So the result of the coping strategy is that the pain feels less. You're not you're not altering. You're not changing the pain. You're just yeah, changing, exactly. changing yeah. attention towards the pain almost. Yeah, you're yeah, and that's I mean they, they, they say that as well. They don't necessarily when you go into a mindfulness class or when you talk about it or when you talk about any sort of coping mechanisms, you never say that you're gonna change your pain, you just say that you will accept it in a different manner. So yeah, I totally agree. You don't I don't think that you can unless you look as I said initially, unless you look at there being a mechanical dysfunction, I don't think breathing can change the pain unless you've got, as I said, a first rib dysfunction, a neck dysfunction, something like that. But in the terms of a relaxation technique, or then you can maybe alter the way that you 
So when you talk about like thirst rib dysfunction, for example, like so does the first rib cause a breathing dysfunction or does the breathing function oh, cause <laughs> the rib because yeah, where is it because yeah, sure the breathing's autonomic. Yeah, well. breathing's so, not gonna cause it. Yeah. That's probably just a symptom of, of something yeah. else. So I don't yeah, I don't think that I don't think that breathing is gonna cause something and that no, I don't think breathing is gonna yeah. cause something. I think just to divulge uh, for you all out there, when we're talking about these nose breathing and what is correct breathing, like the perceived uh, what's been put out there as a concept uh, currently in terms of breathing is that you are incorrect breathing if you're breathing through your chest, whereas correct breathing is that the breathing is going down into your stomach, uh, is basically the, the type of what, what is currently perceived as being correct versus incorrect breathing. Um, I don't know where this is going, like, but I'd like to ask you guys, like, where, where do you think this choice on breathing has come from, that this is correct versus incorrect? Um, put you a bit on the spot there. Um, no, I, I just think it's a, unfortunately, from, from oh, I'll be honest and say, the little research I've done, done on this, I've, I've read a lot of breathing papers, uh, this particular concept, I'm not that aware of. I just think it's, it's we have to be very, very careful as fitness professionals to the way we transfer empirical evidence over to the fitness industry and box it into a concept and use terms like right and wrong. Um, I think once we start saying it's wrong to breathe through your mouth, um, you sort of lose me, you lose your validity of what you're saying and you're just another guy putting a, a concept into a box and trying to sell me something. Um, there is... There is good empirical evidence that shows, as we've just discussed before, that you can have a pain reduction, you can help people through nose breathing, through um, through breathing. You know, one of the classic things is when you go out running, uh, you take a new a new runner out with them. One thing we work massively on is relaxing while running. Now, one of the classic ways, as we've just discussed, to relax is to just take a couple of... Deep breaths through your nose, you know, the little one, when she starts to cry, she's falling over, the first thing you say to her is that breathe, 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 calm down, you know, you put your arm around her and she sort of does that, that breathe there, you know. I don't think there's many of us, many of us will argue or discuss that is a way to relax, a way to get into it. A lot of the time if we're on a hill and we're running up a hill and I can feel the person breathing beside me becoming shallower and shallower and shallower, very often there I'll say, hey, take a deep breath. Um, and that the breath tends to come through the nose, which would which would indicate that there is some validity to to the argument. But to say it's wrong to breathe through your mouth or right to breathe through your nose is is incompetent. Yeah, I mean that's actually one of the big topics that's going on in the fitness industry right now. Is guys are claiming, like you said there, you breathe in through your nose and it creates um, a relaxation response. Therefore, they're advising that people should start working out to breathe through their nose because they want to switch themselves into the parasympathetic nervous system um, during activity. So I'm in the middle of a workout, I breathe through my nose because that way I'm switching to my parasympathetic nervous system and I'm maintaining kind of a relaxed state. Which seems to me counterintuitive, doesn't it? So if you were, if we think about what that's used for, we think about our fight and flight 
why is it that halfway through a workout we would want to calm down or relax everything off? Surely we want to keep up our endorphins, keep up our energy, keep up everything. Yeah, keep up our adrenaline. Why would we want to relax that down? It seems. Yeah, they're just trying to stay to to stay in a calmer state whilst it's helping with the mental side of staying calm. Well, I mean, I mean, from a, from a mental perspective, it's really interesting. I mean, I think what we, we know and we understand is the sort of three elements to elite performance. Um, we've got acetylcholine, uh, we've got neuro, neuroephedrine, and which are sort of linked to your focus and your fear. Um, and then and then you've got you know, your sort of endorphins, your fun side of things. Um, and and what we do know about elite performance is those three things do need to come in balance so to be on the relaxation focus and without fear without you know adrenaline yeah. um, you, you're never going to you're never going to perform to maximal to, to a maximal extent so I think from 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 the initial conversation here when we talked about being able to sit 80% of heart rate have a conversation they were talking about lung efficiency and being able to talk, I think that's a really good thing, but it should never come at the cost of, you know, that edge, that intensity that you get from fear and focus within the workout, because fun, fear and focus, ultimately, if we're talking about training or talking about high performance management, it doesn't matter where we're from, those three things are essential in a project uh, in equal capacities. So, so why you ever want to try and reduce the amount of adrenaline in a workout or go away from that is, is is a mistake. Having said that, being calm, <laughs> being able to make collective good decisions in that environment yeah. is also essential. Yeah. Um, so, so would I want an athlete breathing very quickly through their mouth trying to panic? No. But would I want an athlete breathing through their nose to try to calm down adrenaline and those sorts of things which they need to perform? No. So as everything is relative to who am I dealing with, what's my what's my athlete in front of me, and and, and and what are we trying to get out of today? You know, are we trying to go through a sweet spot workout where we want to feel good, we want to go well, or are we trying to max out and win something? Um, there's a big difference there. Uh, and again, it comes back to that right, wrong, always do this, always do that, conceptualizing things, which shouldn't necessarily be done in, in in sports and maybe having the knowledge about why you're doing something as well so when you're if you're in a crossfit workout and you're intentionally trying to nose breathe throughout the whole workout you're looking back and thinking why am i doing that yeah and if you've got a good understanding about why you are doing that maybe you do panic a little bit then uh, understandably but if you're doing it because you read something in an article and thought yeah i'm going to try that then maybe reevaluate a little yeah what the um just going out some of the things that have been that I've read on this topic that has been highlighted to me. But what it was what they're trying to claim and link is um, is thought it's a misconception that mouth breathing provides you with more oxygen, um, making it easier to complete your routine. Um, so you actually breathe excess air by mouth breathing, mouth breathing, which can trigger hypertension and trigger your fight or flight response. So therefore, this is counterproductive to strenuous exercise. It is one of the one of the comments within the articles that I read. So, like what you're saying there, of well, it's it's very contradictive in yeah. what it's writing there in, in respect to that. Yes, 
Yes, you do. Why? Well, firstly, you rely on your fight or flight. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you're not in fight or flight when you're training, well, where are you? You know, you know, we sort of why are we demonizing fight or flight? You know, de- fight or flight is an essential element of life. We need fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whether you choose to fight, whether you choose to flight, that's your decision. But to demonize that, to say that that's wrong, is is misguided. Um, Totally misguided, and so. I, but on the other side of things, as as, I've, as we know, we've already said, very quick mouth breathing, panicky mouth breathing is a problem. But if that, that's not a problem, you know, to to talk, to be able to hold a conversation, one of the most relaxing things I can do with a, with an athlete to take their mind off what they're doing is to have a conversation with them. You know, if we we're out running and things are going hard, or we're out on a bike. You know, you can actually distract an athlete through through a discussion. And now we're talking about, you know, under threshold training, 85, 90%, having a conversation at that point would only, would probably precipitate, could only mouth breathing, but it would also have the effect of relaxing them. So again, it's not wrong, but again, it's just, it's, it's very out of context. Yeah. So is that if they've looked at one element of, They've got to want the body in isolation, so one mechanism which is breathing and say, well, breathing now affects this, so therefore let's apply that as a as a broad blanket. Strapping it out and apply it to everything. Apply it to everything rather yeah. than looking at the integration of of the whole system and how it needs to work at that moment in time during that, that exercise. I think, um, sorry to interrupt you, buddy, but I think a good example is swimming, and I coach a lot of swimmers. You know, um, now we'll breathe out through our nose for something different. You know, we like to, as we call it, play under the water. You know, so we'll play around with saying different names or nose breathing or both nose and mouth breathing underwater. And there are different, there are better at right. But we're never breathing in. You know, in, in swimming, you're only the breathing in through your mouth. You know, you're, you're never breathing in through your nose. You might breathe out through your nose. And, and their lung capacities. Well, you talk, if you're talking VO2 max scores, you're talking about people who, and again, this is this is anecdotal, um, but when you're talking about VO2 max scores, pretty much the guys with the, the highest VO2 max scores are swimmers. And that's not to say all swimmers yeah. have higher than cyclists. Of course, you'll find cyclists and runners with higher VO2 maxes yeah. than swimmers. But as a general rule, that those guys are the ones with the lung capacities, the, the swimmers. Um, now, you could argue that's because they're breathing inefficiently through their mouths, so they're creating a greater demand, that they have to work harder. Um, but it's that win-lose, it's that give-take that, that an inefficient system will make the body work harder. So ultimately that will create some form of training adaption, which is, is one of the theories behind why swimmers do end up with such high VO2 maxes. The other one is also genetics, that people, um, people will argue that VO2 max is genetical anyway, um, and there's different bodies yeah. of research on that, yeah. We've seen that, that like I say, it's anecdotal, but that trend that, those endurance athletes, swimmers that are mouth breathing and have great lung capacities, it kind of shows as well that they're doing something. How can we then say that they're breathing wrong if they're getting such a a huge training effect? They've got a positive training effect and this going for the capacity. So how can all of a sudden that the most natural thing in the world that is the only way you can breathe whilst you swim is wrong? And um, the other thought is that. So training at sub-maximal levels, almost it helps to, by so taping up your mouth, breathing through your nose, um, training at a sub-maximal level with, because you um, can't take in 
you can have greater amounts of CO2 in your blood by breathing through your nose, and therefore it's going to increase your ability to exercise at higher intensities when you've got your mouth. You're allowed to breathe through your mouth. Like, thoughts on that? Is it useful? Is it just. Is that just adaptation, so, isn't it? Just. I would like to see the documentation yeah. on that. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the articles reference flood thoroughly. So you will just be able to go to the bottom of the page, pull the reference out. I haven't seen the reference for that, but I'd be very, very, very interested in, in reading that documentation. Very few documented articles. They're all not references. No, okay. Okay. So, Rich, okay. Can you a... Yeah, I mean, wonderful theory. Wonderful theory, you know? I'm so Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd like to see the, I'd like to see the, the evidence on that because if that's the case, then then it's a, a wonderful find, uh, and if it's in the sort of initial stages of, of development, fantastic. Uh, there's something we can certainly use for, um, and so I'd be very interested as an endurance coach, be very interested in, in looking at, um, but I have, I have, I have never come across any evidence. That, have you ever seen that? No. Channel? No. no. So. To summarise, where what are we thinking about nose breathing? Where does it have a place in the world? Does it have a place in the world anywhere? Um, like re relaxation and mindfulness is acceptable. Like this parasympathetic response, people have been able to chill out. But in the world of actual exercise, I think there's one. I think there's one other thing to to sort of bring up here is I was you know I had a bit of warning that you were going to be asking so I did a little bit of looking into it and I looked at some some articles that have tried to not just look at uh, pain reduction as, we, as, as we've discussed but actually training pain you know um, Gemma what's the difference between pain and training pain? The difference between train, pain and training well if you're looking at uh, an injury pain so say you've snapped your ligaments or snapped your, your leg, you're going to get an immediate noxious stimulus, you're going to get an inflammatory response which is filled with chemicals that cause a certain type of pain and that will have a different stimulus to your, to your brain. To your brain. Um, and then you'll get a different type of chemical response when something becomes more of a chronic pain, so more of a training pain. So there's two different chemical, essentially two different chemical responses that you get. So. So it's just, they're very different. They're very different, and I think that's, and I think that's from from what I can find is, I haven't been able to find a, a study that links um, deep breathing directly to training pain. There's a lot of as we as we've discussed yeah. acute traumatic impact or broken a leg or car accident or anxiety, yeah. panic attacks, cognitive problems. Uh, there's been a lot of research there that in, into deep breathing, but I haven't as of yet come across anything that says that this helps with training pain. It's not to say that it doesn't, um, it's just it's just not proven. Uh, and there is a very different chemical and neurological sort of stimulus process that, that, that they're very different pains. Um, even from, I know it sounds different, it sounds strange, but even inside, even a muscular tear, versus a training pain, they are, even though training it essentially is just small amounts of muscular tearing, it, it is, they are still different um, uh, neurological responses there. Different which, processes, aren't they? So you get a different type of stimulus, <clears throat> different type of pain. Yeah. 
I mean, just going off onto the side, you know, we talk about uh, heroin addiction versus taking morphine. Um, you know, <laughs> a little bit of time. You know, but they're essentially the same thing. But there's like there's a body of research that says purely out of purely out of the fact that you're taking it, your your intention for taking them, one is based on recreation, one is based on pain management, reduces the amount of addiction you have because you're taking it for for, for pain management. And it's the same here. Like we had the breathing, we have no we have no real why are you breathing deep have, could play a huge role. In, um, in the understanding of could it work for pain management or could it work for training pain management? Bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, I'm boxing it off into its concept of the fitness industry. Well, it's, it certainly needs more work. It certainly needs more work before I think we can be confident enough to. Because I think a lot, a lot of the stuff that I've read is literally a study of ten people. Mm. Um, it's really, yeah, it's not a control group. Control, there's no, yeah. Really, yeah, there's no control. There's no actual scientific study into into that. In a lot of the, a lot of the great, the great research over time has come from a guy in his garage, you know, with an idea who then has gone on to, to do stuff. So, so I don't think we should rule it out because conceptually it sounds okay. It's just, it's just very unsubstantiated at the moment. Great. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks. Red Pill Training are pleased to announce three extra dates of the Your Body, Your Athlete seminar, where James Jowsey and Phil Mansfield will guide you through the unique assessment by mechanical assessment procedure designed by themselves used for their elite athletes. The 14th and 15th of April will be in the CrossFit Carnival. The 23rd and 24th of June will be whatever it takes to get this number. 27th to 28th of October will be CrossFit Women Germany. For more information, see redfieldtraining.com and we look forward to seeing you there.